me welcome everybody, and especially all of you on the other side of the camera who are at Effingham and East and downtown and Statesboro and Midway, those of us who are in the room here at Henderson, and all of you who are watching on the web, welcome, welcome, welcome. You know, I had an opportunity to watch our message on the live stream last weekend. Uh, I was visiting a couple churches in Los Angeles on kind of a research trip, and so, you know, I went to these two lame churches, and then I wanted to watch a real one, so I got our church on the live stream, everybody, and it was awesome, man, I'm telling you. It was great, 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 great. And I just want to say to all of you who are watching us on the web right now, man, this is a great place to start. Love you. But this will be a really bad place to get stuck because you will never be blessed watching our services the way you will be if you come gather with us and worship with us as a family. And so, man, if you can get to one of our campuses, and I know some of you are in Singapore and some of you are in Copenhagen, I get that. But if you can get to one of our campuses, man, come join us. Now, I'm sure you noticed when you walked in at, at all of our campuses today that there's a reminder in all of our lobbies about the seat at the table offering that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, you walk right past this, man. We started this offering last Christmas, as I know your campus pastors already told you, so that we could raise enough cash to complete this renovation of our downtown campus on Jones Street, debt-free. <coughs> and friends, I'm telling you, so far, our seat at the table offering has already provided over $3.5 million toward that goal. Let's praise the Lord, somebody. Come on. Yes. Praise the Lord. Which leaves us only a million and a half to go, all right? And I'm praying this December, God will bless and a wave of generosity will break across our church. And then our, our seat at the table offering will take us across the goal line. You know, last year, our downtown campus had their Christmas Eve service outside at our new property. And don't they look like poor kids hanging on the fence, staring in? I mean, it's kind of a sad thing, right? I'm praying this is the last time they will have to meet outside that building because of our generosity. Now, friends, let's just pray that God will work that way. Okay, Father, I want to thank you for our church. This is a generous church. It's an amazing church. And Father, we just want to ask you, Lord, what do you want us to do for the seat at the table offering? It's above our tithe, Lord. It's, it's above our missions giving. We're just that kind of church, Lord. It stretches, and I'm thankful for that. And I pray, God, that you would raise up folks who have a heart for international students and downtown residents and the urban poor that we'll be able to reach through this campus. And I pray, God, that you provide us that million and a half dollars we need to be able to, to pay for this project with cash. And we pray this in the strong name of our Lord Jesus, who provides every good thing for us. And we pray in his name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay. Now, last week, we launched a new series of messages that we're calling the Holiday Feel Guide. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these little books like this. I love these things, man. It's kind of a field guide. I carry these things with me everywhere I go, especially when I'm traveling on my motorcycle. Now, last summer, I rode from Savannah to Seattle. And you can see the high-tech GPS system that I worked out on a napkin in a restaurant somewhere, you know, to, to make sure I got where I was supposed to be going. And I carry one of these little books with me all the time so that I can, you know, write down some of the memories, some of the crazy stuff happens to me and make notes so that I'll be able to do it better in the future. And friends, that's what I'm hoping this series is going to do for us. It's going to remind us why Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays are so important to us and then help us get a handle on this thing so we can make them even better in the future. Now, last week, we got some really solid guidance on how to wisely use our finances so that Christmas this year will be better and, man, we'll avoid the financial traps that could wreck us early next year. This week, we're going to look for some guidance from God's Word about family. And I don't have to tell you that family can be the greatest blessing at Christmas and Thanksgiving. And family can bring the greatest pain at Christmas and Thanksgiving as well. So let's just see what we can learn about getting on the blessing side of all of that. Now, just to get us into Christmas spirit, take a look at this picture. 
This is a picture of the manger scene at the Journey to Bethlehem at our church last year. Uh, we did it last year, which is awesome. We're not having the journey this year, but we will next year. This year, we've got some amazing Christmas Eve services planned. We're having them on Sunday night. We're having them on Christmas Eve on Tuesday night. I hope you will invite your one to at least one of our Christmas Eve services. Uh, I'm telling you, you'll never have an easier opportunity to bring your one uh, to our church, and I hope you'll grab that check on your campus uh, or on our app uh, or the website when the service schedule is for your campus. But I love this picture. I love this image. This stable honestly looks a lot like the stone cave in Bethlehem uh, that many of us have visited. Many think that maybe where, you know, a place like that where Jesus was actually born. And this is a scene of Joseph and Mary and Jesus celebrating the birth uh, of Christ. Now, you've seen hundreds of pictures like this. Uh, it's got Mary, and Mary's just filled with wonder and joy at the birth of her little boy. And Joseph is present. That dad is present. He is strong. He is loving. He is present to protect his family. And then Jesus is the little kid, right, who's just surrounded by people who love him, who would literally do anything, lay their lives down to make sure that he grows up in a family where he will be blessed, in a family that wants him to accomplish God's will for his life. Now, I love this image because there's just a lot of love in that image. Now, the circumstances are tough. This is taking place in a stable, in a barn. But the images of a special family at a special time is kind of be an ideal for us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see a picture like this, it makes me hope that the picture you received on the way in at all of our campuses today of the Hudson family, the, the, the Christmas picture of our family, and I know you feel the same way, will be just as warm and loving and joyful and wonderful as Jesus' family was in Bethlehem. And I think we all want that, but we all know that won't just happen either, will it? So let's drill down into the Christmas story a little bit because I believe this is a feel guide for us. This is a survival guide, man. This is a guide that will lead us to that kind of family. Now, friends, you and I know great families don't just happen. They are guided by great character. And my working premise in this message is that the deep love and community you know, that was captured in this picture of the first Christmas is a result of some hard-fought character battles that both Joseph and Mary had to wage and win for their family to be this beautiful image that we see here and, and that we want to think of. And friends, if we want this to be kind of the picture of our family, you know, where we reflect that same deep love and that deep commitment, then, man, there are some character battles we need to fight and we need to win as well. So look with me in your Bible at Matthew chapter 1. Who's got a Bible? Hold it up. Who brought one? Bible, Bible, Bible. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Open it, page 1, Matthew 1, verse 18 is where we're going to crank it up. Friends, we're going to look at three waypoints, three character battles that with God's help our families can fight and win. Now, the reason, the picture in our mind of that first Christmas is as beautiful as it is, is because Joseph and Mary chose to be righteous. Everybody say righteous. They chose to be righteous in relationships. Now, friends, the battle for relationships is the battle for personal and relational integrity. Man, the word righteous literally means to be in a right relationship with God that puts you in a right relationship with everybody else. And you can't be in a right relationship with God if you've got broken relationships down this way. And you can't have right relations this way if you have a broken relationship with God either. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and let's see a little phrase that will give us a clue about the integrity of Joseph and Mary. Look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now note that phrase, before they came together. Joseph and Mary were engaged. That's how we would think about it. Engaged to be married. Now in our day, engagement indicates a strong commitment to each other, but it's not legally binding. You can get out of an engagement, amen. How many of y'all glad you got out of one one time? Okay, you know what I'm saying? You can get out of an engagement over dinner one night. I mean, people do that all the time, right? But that's not how it worked back in Joseph and Mary's day. Man, when you were pledged to somebody, it's called betrothed to someone. The betrothal system was way more complicated back in the first century. Betrothal in Jesus' day was just as binding as marriage. Only way you could get out is to be divorced. Bro, if you got betrothed, you were going to get married. So we can assume that Joseph and Mary were in love with each other. Man, just like other engaged couples. We can assume that they were totally committed to one another, fully intending to spend the rest of their lives together. But the Bible indicates in this one little phrase that Joseph and Mary decided not to come together to stay sexually pure until or unless they were married. Now, friends, this is a reflection of two righteous, single lovers of God who fought their appetites and fought their impulses in order to honor the wisdom and the will of God. And I'm telling you, this little phrase is so significant in that day as it is in our day because sexual purity is a battle that needs to be won in every family in our day. Whether it was the first century or the 21st century, it takes a total commitment to personal righteousness to honor God with sexual purity, especially if you're in a loving relationship or an engagement that's heading toward marriage. But friends, you got to know, Joseph and Mary chose to fight that character battle for purity in their relationship. And by God's help, they won that battle. And you can win it too, whether you're married or single, whether you're younger or older. Dude, you know where the most sexually transmitted diseases are found in our day? Senior citizens communities, where people who've honored God all their life have now given up on righteousness in their old age. It's, it's embarrassing. It's sad. Friends, with God's help, we can win this battle. Joseph and Mary won it. We can too. Whether you're young, old, we can engage in that battle for sexual purity. We can fight for marital fidelity, sticking together and not cheating on each other, all right? <laughs> we, can, we can even fight to protect our minds, y'all, from subversive images that come at us through the media, come at us on phones and computer screens, keep our minds pure when it comes to uh, sexual matters. With God's help, we can win this battle. I can win it. You can win it. Every one of us can win it. Now, this is really important for us to talk about because I can see some of y'all rolling your little eyes right now thinking, Cam, what's the big deal about righteousness? Bro, in this day, who gives a rip? I mean, millions of people every day take a swan dive into immorality of every kind. Cam, you really expect somebody like me to pray and strive and discipline myself, deny myself, fight for personal integrity? Bro, what's the big deal about winning this battle for righteousness anyway? Well, if you ever read the Christmas story, it ought to remind you that righteousness is still a pretty big deal to God. And I'll say it as simply and directly as I can, regardless of what our culture says, your personal righteousness matters. Your sexual righteousness, your verbal righteousness, your financial, ethical, marketplace righteousness, bro, this stuff matters to God. And it matters to every life that your life will ever touch. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you think God would have chosen Joseph and Mary to be the key players in the birth of Jesus if they had been careless with regard to personal righteousness? Do you think there's a correlation between their commitment to relational integrity and God's decision to bless them and trust them to bring the Savior into the world and raise him up? Well, of course there is. Dude, there's always been a correlation between personal righteousness and God's hand of favor on you, God's blessing and inclusion, and listen, in some great kingdom adventure. <laughs> you know, Jesus said some crazy stuff when he, was, when he was on earth. And let me tell you one of the crazy things he said. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. You all remember that verse? Don't cast your pearls before swine. You know what that means? Don't entrust what is precious and important to people who don't give a rip. And friends, if he gave that advice, I bet you he follows that advice. That's why Peter, you know, one of Jesus' best friends would write years later, friends, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayers. Man, the face of the Lord, though, is against those who do evil. So let me ask you a question. Do you want the Lord watching over you? Do you want the Lord answering your prayers? What's the trigger for that? righteousness according to Peter now that doesn't mean God doesn't love people who've lost their way he certainly does we do he does it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to reclaim lives that have gone astray I'll tell you what it means though when he's looking for somebody to pour his favor on when he's trying to select a player for some high impact kingdom initiative he chooses righteous people he chooses people who are walking his way this is why when I was a kid my mama's here today so y'all behave all right she's right over here all right when my mom was here, she'd take us to church camp, and we were challenged to, to memorize Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm in, in the book of Psalms, classic text that says, blessed is the person. You want to be blessed? Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of God. And on that law, that's what he thinks about. That's what he meditates on day and night. Consequently, he or she is like a tree planted by streams of water. Bro, they yield their fruit in season. Their leaf does not wither. Whatever he or she does prospers. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. You know, it makes me wonder if we would even know Joseph and Mary's names if they had not fought and won the battle for personal integrity. I mean, bro, if they've been playing fast and loose in their sexual lives, wonder if God might have passed them over for this historic role they got to play. I wonder how many opportunities and adventures I've been passed over for. Because at times in my life, I lost the righteousness battle because of my words. I got a mouth on me, y'all. Y'all didn't know that, but I do. Because of my words or my thoughts or my actions. Man, when you're committed to personal righteousness, it it indicates a devotion to God and to your family and, bro, to everybody else. It demonstrates a sense of trustworthiness before the Lord. Relational righteousness makes you eligible for a special kind of favor and blessing that God reserves for people who cultivate and pursue right relationship with him, right relationship with everybody else. And I wonder if this Christmas, if some of us don't need to do a gut check like David did in Psalm 139 when he said, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me, Lord. Know my anxious thoughts. See, Father, if there is any offensive way in me, then help me turn it around 
and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm telling you, for some of us who are sitting here today, the picture of our life is never going to be that warm, loving, caring image that we all long for until we make something right with our relationship with God or our relationship with somebody else. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> you can fold your little arms, sit back, blow all this off, take a pass, bro. Or you can step up and engage this battle for personal righteousness. And that's what I hope you'll do. And I hope you'll start today. Today. Because, friends, the reward for relational righteousness is a clean conscience. You know, to lay down in the bed tonight with a clean conscience and divine protection and a sense of peace that passes all understanding. This is a battle you can win. I mean, with God's help. You can't do it on your own. But with God's help, we can win this battle. But if you want to, you're going to have to suit up and get in it. Now, let's look back at this major scene one more time. Because there's, there's another waypoint right here. There's another you know, hard-fought battle that Joseph in particular had to fight and win. And, and, and with God's help, he did. And that's why this picture, this image, is as beautiful as it is. Now, you see Joseph here, right? He looks relaxed, protective. He got it together. God's in charge. I'm all good, taking care of my bride, taking care of my kid. A lot of character in that picture. But in the Christmas story, this all comes after. He has to fight a battle to get his heart to that place. And let me tell you where that battle line was drawn. Joseph had to show grace. Everybody say grace. He had to show grace when he was grieved. Grieved. Now, we have all disappointed people we love. Amen? Amen. And we have all been disappointed by people we love. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I love the story about the two Bible college students. You know, they were from way up north, and they were out on some ministry weekend, you know, and they were on their way back to the Bible college, and, and a snowstorm hit, uh, and it started snowing hard. Now, for those of you from the South, snow is a white substance that occurs when moisture starts freezing in the atmosphere, falls like rain, looks like grits. You know what I'm talking about? But anyway, <laughs> anyway, it snowed so hard the car got stuck. And they thought, man, we're going to have to just stay here and leave the engine running and we'll keep it warm, you know, with the heater and all that. Did I mention they were Bible college students? Car ran out of gas. <laughs> and so before long, they thought, we've got to hike it out of here. So they started walking and it just got darker and darker and colder and colder. And they walked up on this hunter's cabin and it didn't have any heat. But there was a cot in there and a sleeping bag and about a dozen of those big, you know, army wool blankets. And the guy said, look, girl, you get on the cot and I'll cover you up with these blankets and I'll sleep on the floor in a sleeping bag and we'll see if we can get through this night. So he gets her on the cot, tucks her in with four or five of these blankets, you know, and he gets in the sleeping bag, zips it up. And about five minutes later, she says, I'm sorry, man, but I am so cold. And he's like, all right. So he unzips the sleeping bag, gets back out, puts three or four more blankets around her, gets back in the sleeping bag, zips it up. And about five minutes later, she's like, dude, is there a breeze in here? I am freezing. Unzips the sleeping bag, gets back up, puts another blanket on top of her, tucks her in, gets back in the sleeping bag, zips it up. And about five minutes later, she said, I apologize, man, but I am so cold. He said, it is cold. It is dangerously cold in here. And we're alone in this cabin, and nobody's going to know what we do here unless we tell them. So just because it's so cold, what do you think about me and you sleeping like husband and wife for the rest of the night? She said, I would love that. He said, good. Get up and get your own blanket. <laughs> nah, that's not, that's disappointing, right? That's a little disappointing. <laughs> but the disappointment that Joseph faced in this story really tested his character. Look at verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's getting out of this betrothal. Now, 
Have you ever thought about what it took to get Joseph from verse 18 to verse 19? And then look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home and loved her as his wife. Now, dude, he started out in verse 18 incensed. We ain't never had sex before. We've kept ourselves from all of that. And you're pregnant? What? This beautiful girl that I love so much has been sleeping with somebody else. She betrayed me. Why would she do that? And then in verse 19, he gets to the place where, you know, rather than just want to humiliate her and hurt her the way she's hurt him, now he's trying to think a little bit like a godly man. You know, are there, is there a way to deal with this problem without completely humiliating her? Maybe I can just put her aside quietly and, and that'll be the end of it. And then you get to verse 24 and he's accepted her as his wife, even though she's pregnant. They remain celibate throughout the honeymoon, the early days of their marriage, until after Jesus is born. And then he becomes a loving, protective husband to her and dad to Jesus. Bro, don't you know Joseph had to do some spiritual work to get from feeling betrayed to the place where he wanted to bless Mary? Janine Brooks was a dental student years ago when a man ran into her car. I mean, he rammed into her car, tore it up. Got, she got a good look at the guy. He got a good look at her. And he just drove off. Never stopped, never repaired the damage. It resulted in a lot of financial burden for her as a student on a student income. God never apologized, never paid for all the damage he'd done. Rolled the clock forward 10 years. Janine Brooks, former student, is now a dentist. Guess who walks into her office? <laughs> the guy who hit her car. She recognized him. He did not recognize her. She told him, sir, have a seat. This won't hurt a bit. And she lied. She lied. And, you know, we love stories like that because we think, finally, some justice, man. Because, you know, the hurt is sometimes a lot worse than a, a car repair. But that's how most of our hearts work. When people betray us, people hurt us, people disappoint us, by God, we want to hurt them back. We want to punish the people who hurt us. And you've got to know Joseph considered that option. I mean, that's the way of the world, right? It's just not God's way. And thank God Joseph refused to act on that first dark impulse. This brother digs down deep into his soul and he begins to engage in that battle for grace. Man, he opened his mind to options other than punishing Mary. He opened his heart to God saying, Lord, I'm so disappointed. I'm so confused. This is horrible. But Father, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Lord, what would the high road look like in my situation? How would you have me act? Maybe he did an amazingly godlike thing. And he tried to imagine, if I was in Mary's place, how would I want to be treated? Would I want to be exposed and disgraced and humiliated? Or would I hope and pray for a little grace? Now let's bring this home. This holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, if you get together with your family, chances are, you're going to be in the same room with some people who have disappointed you, hurt you, maybe worse than that, betrayed you, abused you, wronged you. And at that gathering, like Joseph, you're going to have a decision to make. And you know, this Christmas, we can act on the dark impulses that make us want to inflict damage and hurt the people who hurt us, hurt the people who've wronged us, or maybe like Joseph, we could show some grace. We could lock in to that battle for graciousness. We could wrestle with God. Lord, what does the high road look like here? And maybe 
Maybe we could treat somebody with grace, not foolishness, but grace instead of judgment. And I'm not saying this is going to be easy, but friends, listen, we've baptized over 600 people this year. Anybody want to say praise the Lord? Lord. Here's my question. All right, let's praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Here's the hard question. How is your baptism going to affect your behavior this Christmas? That's an important question. How is your baptism going to affect your behavior this Christmas? I heard a pastor tell about baptizing kind of a brash 20-year-old guy. First Christmas after his baptism, he brings his whole family to the Christmas Eve services. They don't go to church anywhere. They don't know anything about church. He brings the whole crew to church, brings them down front afterward, introduces them to his pastor. And then the family, you know, they're trying to get out of there as fast as they can, man. They go out of the car. And the guy stuck around for a minute. He wanted to say something. He said, Pastor, we had the greatest Christmas party last night at my parents' house. Greatest Christmas party of my life. And the pastor said, what was so great about it? He said, for the first time, I wasn't a jerk. He said, bro, have you been a jerk in the past? He said, dude, I've been the king of jerks. I mean, I used to come to all of our Christmas gatherings with an attitude, man. I'd remind my parents of all the mistakes they made raising us. I'd badger my brothers and sisters about stuff that happened years ago. Dude, I would sabotage every family Christmas party every year. He said, I was a world-class jerk. He said, but last summer, somebody invited me to this church. And a few months later, I gave my life to Jesus and was baptized into Christ. And then Jesus started to push on me about my attitude. And then I joined a small group. And the leader of our small group had us memorize the back half of Ephesians 4.32, which says that we should be forgiving each other just as, Christ in, just as in Christ God forgave us. And then he said the guys in my group began to hold me accountable about my attitude toward my family. And then one day I realized that I needed to forgive people to the same extent that Christ had forgiven me for all of my wrongdoing. And I had a decision to make. And I decided, well, Christ has forgiven me for so much, so I'm going to forgive my parents for being imperfect. And I'm going to forgive my brothers and sisters for the wrongs that they've done to me. And he said, last night's Christmas party, I decided I was not going to be a jerk anymore. I came in with an attitude of forgiveness and grace and love. And he said, Pastor, it really helped the party. <laughs> and the pastor said, well, of course it did, you jerk. What you been thinking all this time, right? And the kid said, thanks for baptizing me, man. Slapped him on the shoulder and tore off. Here's my question. What would happen to the family gatherings of everybody in Compassion Christian if we all decided in the name of Jesus, I won't be drunk this year? I won't be crabby this year. I won't be a complainer this year. I won't be entitled this year. I won't be critical this year. I will not be a jerk this year. I'm going to grant the same grace in the same manner that's been granted to me in Christ. Now, I know that some of us have been wronged in startling ways. And I know it's going to take a lot more than between now and Christmas to get all that sorted out. And it's going to take some Christian counseling. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy because it won't be. I'm just saying, what would happen if we followed Joseph's example and showed some grace when we've been grieved? A friend of mine in Colorado has a woman in his church named Karen Palmer. And Karen shared her testimony about how when she was a little girl, she was sexually abused by her father. And how that abuse just resulted in years of dysfunction and bitterness for her. It was awful. 
And then after coming to Christ and then some intense Christian counseling and many tearful talks with her husband, she knew if she was ever going to be free, she had to quit hating her dad. And she had to forgive him. Not trust him. Y'all hear that? Not trust him, but forgive him. And when she made the call to her father, her husband Jeff held her hand as she told her dad that she forgave him. And then she said, Dad, I want to ask you to forgive me for the hard heart and the bitter feelings that I have harbored toward you. And when she said that, her dad didn't believe her. But the moment she sincerely extended forgiveness, a weight lifted off of her heart. And she immediately began to experience the peace of God replacing bitterness in her life. And though she would never trust her children to be alone with him, she forgave him. And she knows her heart is right with God. Listen to me. Though she would never trust her children to be alone with him, she has forgiven him and knows her heart is right with God. Now, I've told this story before. The last time I told this story, a lady in our church who had had the same experience made the same call to her dad while her husband held her hand and prayed for her. And she extended forgiveness to her abusive father and asked for forgiveness from her dad. And she felt that million pounds of hate lift off of her heart. And she felt the bitterness drain out of her soul and be replaced with the peace of God as well. And this happened just months before her dad died. She was able to reconcile that relationship because she waded into the battle for grace. Now, what did both of these women do? Like Joseph, they fought the battle for grace, even though they had been deeply hurt, even though they were deeply grieved. They emulated that same spirit that we see in Joseph, who refused to hold a grudge and replaced his anger with forgiveness, even though he still had a lot of really hard calls to make. And now, look at verse 20. <laughs> look at verse 20. When Joseph starts up the high road, an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Bro, Mary is telling you the truth. That child Mary is carrying is not the result of immorality. That's not the result of sexual impurity on her part. She didn't betray anybody. Brother, the Holy Spirit touched her in a supernatural way. And the baby that's developing inside her is the second person of the Trinity, the long-awaited Messiah who will do the atoning work that will redeem this fallen world. Can you imagine how glad Joseph was after that angel's visit that he had shown Mary some grace first? Man. Now, let me just confess something to you. I've tried it both ways. Anybody else done that? If you have, just say, mm-hmm. I've tried it both ways. I have fought the battle and extended grace to people who didn't deserve it, even when I was bitterly grieved. And at other times, I've just slam dunked them. Slam dunked them. But hear me. I have never gotten any real satisfaction for burning somebody down. Never. You know when all of a sudden done that vengeance that you think is going to be so sweet? It never is. You never respect yourself for vengeance. But every time I've worked it the other way and, you know, fought the battle for grace with the help of the Holy Spirit, I've experienced this peace and freedom. And guys, I feel like a son of God. And so the angel ends this message to Joseph by saying, take Mary to be your wife. She's a good woman. You have been selected as the family. 
that will raise the Savior of the world. And friends, that presses Joseph into one more character battle. And I'm just going to mention this briefly. Because Joseph's family had to choose to trust. Everybody say trust. They had to choose to trust the Lord when they were being tested. Man, this battle pushes Joseph to the very edge of his faith because it's a battle for trust. Man, Joseph's got to decide if he's willing to walk by faith or he's going to walk by sight, what I can see, what everybody else says. I mean, he's been asked to trust that the father of Mary's child is, in fact, the Holy Spirit and not some Facebook friend. And that takes a lot of trust. Beyond that, he's being asked to name that baby Jesus, the Hebrew name that means God will save. And one day, he's going back to Nazareth, that little town where everybody knows Mary was pregnant before they got married, and they're going to introduce that baby as God will save. And people are going to go nuts. And so Joseph got to trust the Lord a lot on that. And these are not layups, man. These tests push him to the edge of his faith. And sometimes our trust battles will push us that way. I mean, think about it. All of us here are being asked to trust that this whole Christmas story is real and true. This is not a, a, a fairy tale. This is not some analogy. This is, this is history. We're being asked to trust wholeheartedly that God did, in fact, visit this planet in the person of Jesus as a matter of history. We're being asked to believe that at 30 years of age, he started a public ministry where he healed and challenged and confronted and taught people. And at the end of that three-year run, he shouldered the sins of the world on the cross and died for you and me between two common thieves. And we're asked to believe that three days later, he was resurrected. And then 40 days later, he ascended back to where the Father was in heaven. And from that time till this, he's been reaching out to fallen, wayward people all over the world, just like us, offering them a new start and a life-changing relationship with him, and eternity with, heaven, with him in heaven in the future. And dude, if we trust him, our future, our family, our career, our relationships, all will work better his way than our way. And that's a lot to believe. Do you believe it? I do. Man, I hope you do. I hope you do. Because you know what? This Christmas, some of us are facing medical challenges that have got us really scared. Some of us are facing financial shortages or vocational setbacks or family heartbreaks. Some of us are grieving because this is going to be the first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas with an empty chair because somebody that you love is with the Lord now. And friends, I'm telling you, in times like this, we trust God because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He doesn't cause all things, but in all things, he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I know for some of us, this is going to be a battle. But friends, the Christmas story, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us that trusting God, even when it's tough, is amazingly rewarding. And do just like Joseph and Mary, when we wage and we win these character wars, it changes us. It deepens our faith. It increases our joy. It transforms our families. And Joseph and Mary teach us that char the character required for that first Christmas that didn't come easy, man. They had to fight that fight with all their might to win the battle for righteousness and graciousness and trust. And their family was blessed because they did. And here we are 2,000 years still talking about it. They learned that in the heat of the battle that they could receive help from the Holy Spirit. They learned that they would receive help from the Holy Spirit. Help came from heaven to Joseph and Mary in unexpected ways over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, man, if you started to trust him, that'll happen for you too. And they learned that when the battle for character is over, the reward of righteousness is worth it a thousand times over. And if you want to know 
like they knew. You've got to trust him like they trusted him. Father, this is a strong story. This is a strong call. This is a call to fight, you know, appetite, fear, worry. Lord, to trust you. Father, when, when we're lonely, to trust you when we're grieving, to trust you, Lord, when we don't understand, to trust you when we've been hurt. But I pray, God, that because of Joseph and Mary's story, we will dare to trust what your word says. We will dare to trust that deep love that you alone can show to every man, every woman. We, we just will dare to trust you, Lord, and begin to see what happens as that fruit of righteousness begins to just grow in our lives. And so we commit this Christmas, Lord, to trusting you in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.